Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can just cut it off. You can there. edit it, right? Yep. All right. Let's. The thing is, none of us listen to it afterwards, so we don't know who adds who edits what. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. This is episode 12. I'm Sam Quarter. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. And today we're joined by Josh Brown from Roadfire Software. Josh, tell us about yourself. Yeah, so I do iOS development. Um, I'm a consultant and have worked with a variety of clients from large businesses to small startups. And I also do training and I teach people iOS development and Swift and auto layout and all kinds of fun things, um, both in live workshops um, as well as online um, workshops, video courses. I write on my blog as well. so that's been my focus more recently is the training side of things. Okay. Yeah, I've read a few of the blog articles. Pretty cool. good. Thanks. So I bet you come across a lot of different skill sets when you're doing these training classes. Oh yeah, absolutely. How do you bring people up to speed if they haven't been if they don't have a good programming background. Well, that's the tricky that's the trickier part of it. Um so Mostly what I focus on is teaching developers how to do iOS development. Um, So it it almost seems easy to me because most developers are already, they already have the mindset of how to write code, how to write for loops and if statements and things like that. And so teaching them a new technology, iOS, is not really so difficult. I've had um, like designers and other people come to some of my workshops, but uh, generally they don't get as much out of them as developers do. So I really focus on helping developers to learn iOS and try to get them to come to the classes and and tell people who aren't already developers that it's probably not for them. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's also like a cool, fun thing to do if you're a developer to learn a new language most of the time. So Right. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of new languages, uh, Swift uh, 1.2 and Xcode 6.3 came out a couple weeks ago. Uh, And I know you've been doing a lot of Swift and Alex Robinson's been doing a lot of Swift too. So uh, can you guys tell us a little bit about like what was in those new releases? Yeah, yeah, we can uh, cover some of the the high points. one of the the big changes is with the if let optional binding to unwrap values. Prior to Swift one two, there was this concept called the pyramid of doom. Uh, so if you have a lot of nesting of optionals, you end up with a lot of these if let statements. So in one two, they provided a more convenient syntax so you can combine the unwrapping into one line, and even add a where clause for a standard if check. Do you just like comma separate the if lets now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that that was a a big help. Um, Removes some pretty ugly nested if code. So another thing that 
seemed to be missing from Swift was the set data type. So they've finally added a a set as a first class citizen in Swift. That seems like a pretty big miss. You think they just didn't have time to get to it, or could have been time? Could have been the, the you know you could still use an NS set in Swift. You know, taking that from Objective C. Uh, but I think people were missing a, a native Swift set data type, uh, so that's been added in there. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think for me though, like. A set is something that I don't use all that often. Um, even when I'm in Objective C, I don't use NS set or NS mutable set very often. So I don't know if if I'm not normal or if other people don't use it as much either. And so they delayed it until now just because it wasn't um, used as much. I don't know. Do you guys use sets? I probably just always use an array. I never, <laughs> I barely ever use a set either. So I don't think that would have bothered me one bit. To not have a set. The only time I use them is in core data in mm, relationships. Right. Yeah, I think I think the array goes a long way. Uh, occasionally, you run into that case where you really don't want um, to have duplicates in your array, and mm. um, you know, set you know, is very similar to an array, but it, it has slightly different rules that. Occasionally, you have use cases where th that makes better sense. Mm -hmm. Well, and coming from a uh, mostly Objective C developer, there's not like the uh, sweet uh, initiation syntax that they added for arrays. So that, that's probably one of the big reasons I don't use it too, because it's mm -hmm. you got to use the old old methods, comma separating things, and ending with a nil. It's, it seems like no good. No, no, you just do NS set from array. Well, that works set. too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that works too. It's like those guys I've seen that will use the the uh, short syntax for an array to create, and then you'll call mutable array onto that to get an array. Oh, yeah, array. I'm one of those guys. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. I think Sam gave me crap for doing that at one point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. I like it. I like the short syntax. Yeah, yeah it's I good. like the short syntax, but <laughs> create an array just to get a, a mutable one. That's how we roll. <laughs> ghetto style. That's right. Ghetto style Swift. <laughs> so yeah, is, it, is there anything else new? in? Yeah, there's quite a few other things uh, that are worth mentioning. Okay. One of the things that I think... Um, is nice now is the that they improved um, or fixed, I guess, a lot of the source kit service terminated crashes. Um, and for me, that was making Swift almost unusable because you'd get this error and suddenly all your syntax highlighting is gone, all your code completion is gone, and it's really hard to write code in a new language without all that stuff. So um, I'm really glad that they made improvements to that. And generally, the reliability is better. I think there's an open source project that cr tracks Swift compiler crashes, and I, during one of the betas, I think they had at least 84% of the known crashes fixed. I'm not sure what the final version ended up being, but it was a dramatic improvement. Mm. 
And the next kind of big complaint with Swift and Xcode prior to one two was the compile times. So they've they've added incremental builds so that can have a pretty dramatic improvement in your daily routine. Now, Alex, you and Josh both worked on a project together where you two introduced Swift into a large code base, correct? Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. we were pretty much jumping right in as soon as Swift was was gold. We started introducing it into the project. Did the did you notice the compile times getting longer and longer? up until 1.2 for me or... honestly i don't think i really noticed um and maybe it was just because it was one we were adding one class at a time and so uh, you know it, when when it happens that gradually i think i didn't i didn't notice the compile times taking longer um i'm sure they were but it just wasn't something that i was noticing or feeling Okay. About you, Alex. I think I noticed it. Uh, maybe not on that project as much because it was already a big project, but on smaller side projects, just a little bit of code took longer than you would expect to to build and run. Yeah, I've heard just anecdotally of stories where it takes several minutes, to up to ten minutes sometimes, for non-trivial Swift apps to compile. And you know, by the time you get done compiling, you've you've lost your train of thought. Right. Some of it also has to do with how how far you push the the compiler, you know, the inferred types and and things like that, and closures, you know, taking in functional concepts. The fancier you get, the more you make the compiler work. The the more likely you are to slow it down or, or crash it. Hmm. So if you're programming the same way in Swift as you do in Objective-C, you probably would, wouldn't notice as much. But if you're trying to fully embrace functional concepts, you definitely are, are pushing the limits more so than before. You're making the compiler work harder. <laughs> yeah. But then... If you're not using Swift for its benefits, then you're just using Swift to be using Swift. Right. Yeah. Well, I, th I think right out of the gate with Swift, you've got better type safety. You've got a number of categories of defects that just can't happen in Swift. That doesn't mean there aren't new types of defects with Swift that we haven't discovered yet, but some common programming errors like the equal equals versus is equal, uh, forgetting to do a break statement or default statement in a switch. Um, those things have just been eliminated from the language. Right. So you've got that. And then you get rid of the header file and you've reduced a decent amount of code just by that. I think that was kind of the first thing that sold me on Swift was no more header files. <laughs> then in all honesty, when they introduced Swift at WWDC, my initial reaction was a bit anguished, um, disappointment. You know, I spent five or more years learning Objective-C. It's a language I grew the, to love, and I liked the dynamic nature of it. 
So it it was a bit painful to see it replaced with Swift at first, um, but after working with Swift for a while, I've I've come to appreciate that language as, and I've been working in it long enough that it's hard to go back to Objective C now. That's your story is interesting because mine is almost exactly the opposite. When they introduced Swift at WWDC. I was excited. I was like, all right, a new language, something new to play with and learn and and work with. And hopefully this will be so much better than Objective-C. And I think it's it's getting there. Um, but like, yeah, for me, it was just excitement, like something new to learn. This is great. I think for me, when I saw it, I thought, well, okay, this is cool. But as soon as I heard that it wasn't doing message passing anymore, that really turned me off to the language. That's something I really do like about Objective-C. Yeah, Objective-C has always had this nice kind of middle ground of, you know, it's, it's got a type system of sorts, but it, and it's got this dynamic message passing. So it, it kind of sits in a nice um, nice place and play, plays with C and C++, but it also has those dynamic features. You can do metaprogramming with it so it's it's a pretty powerful language but with that you know there's a decent number of places where a new developer could get into trouble and you know I have to think that that the team at Apple just kind of went through and looked at all the reasons apps crash today and said let's just make those an impossibility in the language. If they were going to do that, they would take out core data. <laughs> <laughs> Man. <laughs> well, maybe that's maybe we'll see that in June. Maybe we'll see a <laughs> replacement written in Swift that uh that fixes all the issues. Yeah, and you better that. watch out cuz if Apple deprecates, if they deprecate that stuff quick. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think on in general, Swift one two went a long way to addressing most of the the gaps in Swift. Um, I, they addressed a lot of the the complaints. And to be fair, I mean there is for a like mid mid uh, yearly cycle release, there is a whole bunch of stuff in there. I was kind of surprised at at the scope of all the stuff that's just in there, you know, in between two developer conferences. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, you know, it would have been maybe a nail in the coffin for Swift. If we had to wait a year to get some of the challenges fixed, but I think there's not a whole lot of excuse now for developers to hold off on Swift. And, you know, I'm seeing more and more people start to introduce it into their projects, even, large conservative organizations seem to be starting to adopt Swift uh, slowly, you know, in, in, in small places, you know, frameworks and, and tools, but I think Swift is going to stick around for a while. I don't think it's going to be something that people can ignore forever. So I've only done a little bit of, of Swift here and there, just like on a little side project I've been working on, but are there like for those of you who've been working it, you know, day in day out, are there any b- 
big things that are still like, ah, it'd be really nice if I could do this, or are you pretty happy now? I'm definitely happier. Uh, refactoring still doesn't exist for Swift. Uh, so that's a little bit painful. Uh, to be fair, Xcode was never known for its refactoring capability. Uh, but it'd be nice for Swift to have that capability. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. something that I'm missing too and wish that um, I could rename things or um, that sort of thing. It's kind of frustrating when I can do something in Objective-C but not in Swift. Um, and refactoring is one of those things. I think the next big thing would be metaprogramming or ref reflection. There's some low-level reflection capabilities, but it's not really a, a first-class citizen yet. I'd like to see that feature evolve. Granted, that starts pushing you towards more of a dynamic arena, um, which seemed to be some of the things they were trying to avoid. You know, things like method swizzling is uh, definitely problematic in Objective-C. You know, it's it's not a future-proof thing to do. But there are definitely categories of frameworks and libraries that you could build if you had metaprogramming, like an object mapper, for example. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit hard to do in Swift today, at least in a generic way. Uh, so it would be nice to see something added, some API added to to add reflection at a minimum. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the tools still have a little ways to go. You know, Xcode 6.3 is definitely more reliable. Source kit crashes are mostly a thing of the past, but, and maybe it's just me, but I, I definitely have had an increase in crashes in Xcode in general. Not specifically SourceKit, just Xcode crashing for various reasons. Not that that's necessarily new for anyone, but I definitely feel like I'm seeing it more often in my Swift projects than I did before. You should come back to the dark side. Objective-C lands great. You sure it is? <laughs> <laughs> Hardly any crashes. I actually... Uh, got bit by um, a crash. I think it was related to, yeah, it was in storyboards. Um, so I had a storyboard where I was using custom fonts. And so whenever I opened that storyboard in Xcode, I think it was in 6.2, um, and then tried to switch away from the storyboard tab, um, Xcode would just hang on me. And so it made it completely unusable. So um, that they finally fixed um, in a, a recent bug fix release, but that was killing me, and that was a pure Objective-C project, so just yeah. related to storyboards. I was having the same problem on launch. If I closed it with the storyboard open, and I believe this was with custom fonts or IB designables, it mm -hmm. would crash on launch, and the only way to fix it was to, I think it was to clear out the... I don't think it was the derived data. It was the user state. I had to clear out the user state of the Xcode project, hmm. and then it, it would work. But yeah, that that got fixed in 6.3.1 as well. Right. That That's craziness. 
So would you guys both, if you were starting a new project today, start with Swift? I definitely would. Yeah, I would too. Um, I think for me, like Swift is the future. Clearly it's the direction Apple's heading. And I know they recently released um, research kit and their example project in the research kit open source code was entirely written in Swift. So to me, it seems pretty clear that that's the direction forward and that's where they're moving and kind of pushing people. And I think Objective-C will probably still be around for a while, but I want to go with like the long term here. And Objective-C is already 30 years old. Um, Swift is new and hopefully will be around for a long time. And so to me, I see this as sort of investing in the future. Like maybe it's a little bit more painful now or not as good, but um, it's going to get better. And if I start learning it now today, then um, I'll be much more productive in a year or two years or five years with Swift. Yeah, I definitely think sample code, frameworks, uh, training, they're going to be heavily weighted towards Swift. So going forward, it, it's going to be hard to avoid Swift mm -hmm. uh, for anything that you do. I think it's still going to be hard to avoid Objective-C completely. I don't think you can are going to be able to just do Swift if you're using third-party libraries or or even um, working with iOS frameworks. I, I think you're going to have to have some familiarity with, with Objective-C. There are definitely things you can't do in Swift still you know, beyond just things like metaprogramming. Uh, for example, with the appearance proxies, you can't uh, you can't set a a property for appearance in class right now in Swift. That API just doesn't exist, so your only option is to drop down the Objective C to do it. And I'm sure there's <laughs> other places like that. Interesting. All right, so. You start a new project, you use Swift. I can go along with that. So what if you have a big old existing Objective-C project? Do you convert it? Do you just add Swift for new stuff? What are your thoughts there? So that's where Josh and I started, was on an existing project that had hundreds of source files written in Objective-C. And you know our approach was to slowly introduce Swift as we build new features. And maybe as we refactor existing features, you know, if it if it made sense, we would convert them to Swift. Uh, there, it's not a process without some pain and frustration, I suppose. Uh, and just learning how to convert things to Swift, how to do things that you're familiar with in Objective C that may or may not have a a similar approach in Swift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think um, I really enjoyed um, like introducing Swift on that project, and it it made things more interesting, more exciting for me again, because um, I had been working on the project for over three years when um, Swift came out, and so it was kind of a fun new thing to add to this project and and learn and. Um, like I said before, I kind of think Swift is the future. So, um, maybe 
maybe the entire project will never be entirely in Swift, but um, it seems like adding some Swift is uh, maybe a good hedge or something, um, kind of a good like prep for the future. Um, and I guess on the other side, I've also um, recently been working on a project that's entirely in Objective-C, and um, while Swift has uh, been out for um, the entire duration of the project, actually, it was started by someone else in Objective-C, and um, this other person is still working on it, and is just a lot more comfortable in Objective-C. So on that one, I haven't even like brought up or suggested adding Swift. I've just gone with Objective-C because I know him and his personality and how he is. And he, he likes Objective-C. He, I don't think he even knows Swift at all. So um, I know for him, he wants to keep it in Objective-C and he's um, going to be working on it long-term and maintaining it and things. And so that's a case where, you know, absolutely it should just stay in Objective-C and and I don't think it would be smart to introduce Swift on that one. So I really think it depends on the situation and who's working on it and that sort of thing. Is there a scenario you guys think makes sense to just convert it all to Objective-C? Or it seems like what I'm hearing is if you're going to do Swift on an existing code base, just kind of as you work, bring Swift in slowly. Yeah, and if you're lucky enough to be focusing on iOS 8 only, then you can start introducing them as frameworks. You know, start breaking your, your project apart into frameworks, and those could be pure Swift frameworks, and that could be a nice way of doing that. I have not had the fortune of being able to drop support on iOS 7 for any of my projects, so um, I to me, that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks between that and CocoaPods. Uh, it's definitely... That's been where most of my pain has been. Uh, working with Objective-C and Swift for, hasn't been too terribly painful once you get the hang of the bridging header. It's not too bad. But I'm definitely feeling the pain. I, I'm definitely feeling the pain of like CocoaPods and also, the, the rift now with Carthage, because in a side project I've got going, I've had to use Carthage and CocoaPods in the same project because one didn't have a good pod spec for a certain library that I needed. And, and also, that library included a lot of Swift. It's a mixed library. And so I've got both of those sitting in my project right now. It's... It's just messy. We're kind of, I feel like we're in this in-between land right now. Yeah, and I, I think with iOS 8 gaining market share, I think right now it's a little over 80%. Hopefully as we approach June and iOS 9 being announced, uh, we'll, we'll get past 90%. Uh, but 10% still is a big market, so for some people it's going to be hard to cut it over at 90%. But there's so many features that are dependent on frameworks going forward that it's, yeah, we're definitely in this painful period that since Swift and yeah. the dependency management tools require frameworks. Um, it's just not clean. 
we just need all those people running iOS 7 to take their phones to the pool <laughs> and take a dive with the phone still in your pocket. What about the people with iPhone 5 and 6? Or iOS well, 5 and 6? They, well, they practically don't update. exist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the people in that category most likely aren't going to be buying or downloading apps, so... Yeah, right, and that's such a small percentage too. They're checking their email, and they're running the old version of the ESPN app that they installed with iOS six, and they love their skeuomorphism. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't completely blame them for that. Apps were prettier to some degree back then. Yeah. So, yeah. so like I was telling you guys, I've been working on a little side project in. And Swift, and I, I think the biggest adjustment I had when I started was kind of figuring out how to deal with optionals. So I started at first, and I was like, "All right, everything needs to to be a let, no vars. Um, I want everything to be initialized right away." I, I think that's kind of the the way the the language pushes you, but. Um, I started running into a lot of cases a lot of times dealing with uh, Objective-C APIs uh, where I, like, I'm creating a view controller. I don't necessarily have all of the outlets or whatever I need at, at runtime. Is there any good strategy to deal with that stuff that I may have missed? Or is that just that's one of the things you need to kind of think differently about and work with differently? I, th I think you're right. Optionals are probably the biggest stumbling block for most people coming into Swift. Yeah. It's when when you get down to the details, it's actually such a simple concept that you have this enum wrapper around values that you either have something or nothing. It's either nil or the value you want. Um, and that's solves a lot of potential bugs down the road that you can be more explicit about what mm -hmm. it should be and, and whether or not something should be optional. Um, with Objective-C and all the libraries, it, it was either force unwrapped or optional before. So that's where you probably have to deal with optionals more than anything. And, and working with a mixed code base with Objective-C and Swift, that's definitely one of the pain points. Well, in any app you do, you're going to have... You know Apple's Objective C framework, so there's no getting away right. from it. Well, with Xcode six three Swift one two, um, one of the things that we didn't mention that was added is you can now mark things as nullable or non nullable in Objective C headers. So you can the libraries I'm guessing are going to start being better at identifying things that can or cannot be optional. So some of that will get reduced and definitely as as new libraries are written they can be more explicit about the intent uh, so it's not just Swift that got a little bit of an improvement uh, Objective-C had a, a few things as well they've also improved some of the interoperability between Swift and Objective-C with the enums and some other things so I think we'll see it get better and better over time but you're absolutely right. The The desired pattern is to favor mutability or immutability and 
avoid optionals as much as possible. Right. Um, and this is something that I see when I'm like teaching people Swift, especially people who already know Objective C, that they kind of get hung up on optionals. And it's that's perfectly normal. It seems like a lot of us, um, I got hung up with optionals. I hadn't done them in other languages before. And so it, it just took me a while to wrap my head around it. And so I think it's perfectly normal for people to kind of struggle with that at first and also to declare almost everything as an optional when starting out because if you don't declare it as optional, well, you have to initialize it right away and all this stuff that um, feels a little unnatural maybe. Um, but I think over time um, it gets easier and um, like Alex was saying, now that you can mark things as non-null in Objective-C, um, I think we are going to see more of that. And so there will be less optionals in the APIs that we're using um, in the Cocoa Touch APIs and in other frameworks. So, um, but yeah, I think um, it's, definitely, it's definitely a struggle for people who are new to Swift. So Josh... How has being proficient in Swift influenced your Objective-C coding style? Uh, well, I think I've started to um, think more functionally, um, which uh, basically, like, I try to, well, like Alex just said, favor immutability. And so um, in Objective-C, if I can return a value instead of nil, um, often I'll do that now uh, rather than um, maybe there's a string value and, and it makes more sense to return an empty string than nil um, because uh, I've, I've used Swift and I've worked with Swift and know that, you know, that's better. That's not an optional in Swift or it doesn't require an optional in Swift. Um, so I think that's one major thing um, that I've done. Um, another thing is I've tried hard to, and this is along the same lines, but I've tried hard to um, pass one um, value into a function and have it return one thing. Um, and in some cases in the past, I've had, maybe I've passed something into a function, an object into a function, and then mutated that object inside the function, and then the function just returned void. So rather than doing that, I try now to write functions that accept a parameter and return something. Um, so that I'm not mutating things underneath and it's easier to kind of follow what's going on. Okay. How, how's that working out for your partner? So you finding your code kind of strange? Or are you happy with it? <laughs> no, I don't think so. And, and that's the thing, like, I don't think it necessarily makes code look all that strange or feel any, all that much different. Um, I think, He's been he's been good with it and um, happy with uh, the stuff I've written, um, so it seems fine. And I think Josh and I probably have a similar approach in terms of favoring readability over cleverness. So you mm. can definitely get clever with Swift, especially when you start introducing operator overloading and function currying. Um, right. If, if you start going down that path you might be trying to be too clever and you're not doing the future maintainer of that code any favors. Right. 
I've pretty much avoided operator overloading entirely so far in Swift, um, just because, uh, I don't know, to me, well, like you said, readability, um, it, uh, to me it's easier to read the name of something than to look at an operator, translate in, that into what it means, and then think about what the code is doing. So... But I, I do think with Swift having functions as a first-class citizen, you know, I, that opens up some new opportunities, and and it's definitely a big improvement over the block syntax. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I always had to look up the block syntax for passing a block in as a parameter, yeah. and, and now... At the unmentionable website? Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Although, isn't there a similar one for Swift, too? There might be. <laughs> I thought that was a joke, though. Maybe, maybe it is. put that together as a joke. Maybe it is, but when I was starting in Swift, it was super handy anyway. So, <laughs> joke or not, it's useful. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely better. Yeah, so do you guys have any favorite Swift libraries that you've pulled into your projects and worked with? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Alamo Fire, and um, not just because it's from the creator of AF Networking, and it's I'm assuming it's it's pretty popular. But um, one of the things I like about it, and I like about Swift in general, is the type safety. So with Alamo Fire, um, one of the recommended patterns um, is to create a router. Um, that then gives you type safety as you call methods on your API. So you can say router.search and then pass in your search string. And then underneath all that, it you know creates your URL request and sends it and everything with the right parameters. But doing something like that, I think, is great. Um, so I don't have to necessarily pass strings around so much or create... Um, create dictionaries for parameters or things like that. And again, that happens kind of underneath, but um, once you have this router defined, you can call it um, pretty easily and, and rely on the code completion and the type safety. So I think that's really handy. Okay. Alex, did you have any? Yeah, I think, you know, one area that a lot of people, when they first got into Swift and they found that the the promise of cleaner more concise code was a bit of a a, a bait and switch was with json parsing so mm -hmm. especially with all the optionals uh, parsing json was a very painful thing to do in swift but uh but there's some functional libraries out there the one that i like the best is swifty json it's a has a much cleaner way of parsing JSON than trying to do it by hand, mm -hmm. um, unwrapping everything and type checking. So it kind of does all that for you. There's some probably more functional approaches that use operator overloading and things like that. Um, but I prefer Swifty to the, to some of those. And for unit testing, the quick unit test is um, probably the one I, I favor right now I, I haven't used it a lot because a lot of my 
lot of my projects have existing unit testing frameworks in place. I mean, you can use XC test without any issue, but mm -hmm. if you're going to go per pure Swift, Quick is is pretty well done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not to go too far. This isn't a framework, but I've noticed um, that uh, some things are uh, maybe easier to unit test in Swift, um, where you can define like an extension um, for a class right inside of your test function. Um, so I think there was an article on NS Hipster about this, but if you're testing, say, um, URL requests, you can extend NS mutable URL request and um, just provide some canned response to your unit test. So you don't actually have to send your request. And that's something that's just a lot simpler in Swift than it is in Objective-C. Um, so Swift is nice for some of those things too. That sounds, <clears throat> that sounds pretty good. And that's probably something else to call out is that, you know, it's still a very new language and, you know, there aren't necessarily established patterns and idioms yet. And maybe we'll see some of that at WWDC. With maybe Apple will set some some guidelines in place after seeing lots and lots of apps and good and bad code written in Swift. But a lot a lot of people are, are still figuring out what the patterns are. Well, Apple doesn't have access to our source code. That's the NSA. <laughs> oh, there's so much of it on GitHub. So yeah. So there's. There's an unbelievable amount of Swift code out there. I, th I think it's almost easier to find examples in Swift now than Objective-C on Stack Overflow. Mm -hmm. At least that sounds more crazy. recent. What's that? That sounds crazy to me. <laughs> I could be wrong. Well, Granted, there's a lot of history to catch up to. I, I'm biased towards... Well, well, you may be right, too. I, I, I did find it when I was doing my Swift stuff, I was like... Uh, how do I do this in Swift? And there is always something there. So, yeah. yeah, there's been a couple very rare cases where I can't find anything. But to be fair, those cases it's hard to find anything in Objective C as well. So, um, maybe this is a weird comparison, but um, you guys have all been doing Objective C for a while. It almost seems like it, there's more resources for Swift now than there was like when the app store was new and people were just getting into iOS development and Objective C. Is that ring true to you guys? Hmm. No. I think there's <laughs> I think there's probably a larger community generating content, you know, training and educational content now and they recognize the fact that Swift is like this new territory that will sell books or or videos, so you know, when I started, there was one book to learn yeah. Objective C for iOS, and prior to that, it was the Aaron Hillegrass Mac OS book, uh, learning Objective C for Mac. Um, so there wasn't really a whole lot out there at that time. Now there's a ton of resources, but there's also tons of people who are making a living or leveraging educational materials to sell their services so right. yeah, like Ray Wenderlich is is a great example like they pretty much committed on day one of Swift to convert everything over to Swift and everything new 
would go that direction. And I think that bet has paid off well for them. Hmm. Yeah, and similarly, it seems um, it seems like um, when I started with Objective C, like basically, I I think I had a couple options for books, but I picked one and and just started working through it. And um, there were places to find answers about Objective C, but it was mostly Stack Overflow and Q and A type things, or maybe other forums, but. Um, there weren't so many like tutorials and educational materials like there are now for Swift. Um, so like Alex was saying, I think there's kind of a trend to go that direction. And it makes sense because again, like as I'm teaching people iOS development, um, pretty much what I hear is I want to learn Swift. Nobody comes to me and says, I want to learn Objective-C. Like if they want to do iOS and they don't already they want to learn Swift. And I'm not exactly sure why that is. I think part of it is Apple's marketing, actually. Um, but it's it's a little bit strange to me because, in my opinion, Objective-C is a lot simpler. And Aaron Hillegas actually wrote a blog post about this, too, and how um, iOS developers need to know Objective-C. And uh, there, there are just so many things in Swift that aren't in Objective-C, like optionals for one. Um, and so you have to learn these new concepts um, if you don't already know them to, in order to understand Swift. Whereas with Objective-C, it's just there are less things, less uh, things that you need to learn to know the language. Um, so, it, yeah, it's just it's interesting to me that everyone wants to learn what I think is the harder language to do iOS development. Well, Objective-C has got all those crazy pointers and stuff. Nobody wants yeah, to learn that's that. That's true. <laughs> well, I think that's uh, about all the time we have, guys. Uh, do you want to tell us where you can find you on the internet? Sure. Um, I am JT Brown on Twitter. You can also find me at my website, which is roadfiresoftware.com. And... Um, I guess that that's probably the best way to find me. Okay. Uh, I'm Alex Argo on Twitter. I'm AJ Robinson on Twitter. And I'm Sam Corder on twi- Twitter. C-O-R-D-E-R. And you can find the podcast at Shared Inst on Twitter or SharedInstance.com. Uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already. And even even if you don't want to listen, just download every time. That'll make us feel better. <laughs> yeah, just subscribe. We don't care and... if you listen. Um, also, we would like you to leave a rating if you get a moment too. You don't have to listen to us. Leave us a rating, please. 